1: You're listening to the Tennis.com Podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan.
0: Welcome back to the Tennis.com Podcast, Uh welcome to any new listeners as well. I am Ed McGrogan, here with uh, Steve Tigner, and as uh, we often do, we want to run down what's been going on in the uh, world of tennis, look look back a little bit, look ahead. Um, the tours this week continue, the, um, continue their a- swing through Asia. Um, you know one thing I think that you pointed out stephen in a recent piece was really just acknowledging how how dense this time of year is, particularly on the w t a side because you know before we know it um their season will actually be over with, and uh, as we as we saw last week, you know, it is already over for Serena Williams. But she really, and it really didn't actually have to take off that many pure weeks in a, in uh, in advance because the the season is winding down quickly, and they go at it, you know, with a uh, three big tournaments pretty much back to back to back. So it's, you know, it's it's that time of year, and then the, the ATP really kind of sorts. It kind of resets itself, and, and we see really for the first time since the Open those players back in action.
1: Yeah, I guess the WTA kind of runs into two, you know, sort of a problem. They they want to keep their season shorter, which I think is good, end it by the end of October, and I think that's been a good move. But then they also want to expand this late part of the season in Asia. They've really pushed for that over the years, both, both tours. Um, and, you know, so it's tough – it, and now you see, sort of see the conflict between the two ideas. They've had to, had to kind of wedge in this tournament in Wuhan, so so players are playing constantly for three weeks, basically, to to to, to you know to get the season over with the you know, when they want it to be over with. So, so we've seen a lot of unfortunately we've seen a lot of withdrawals and and some injuries, uh, some people being tired after after flying straight to another tournament. So, you know maybe that's something that's something they look at how to how to balance those two things in the future.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think the I think that with, you know, as I mentioned Serena Williams calling it a year, um in in a sense, you know, I think unfortunately for WTA, I think that as large of a presence as she was this year and you know, arguably bigger than ever with her accomplishments, you know, I think you can only. I think it's hard not to look to the future already um, on the women's tour of, you know, of where kind of the landscape is left after this season. And um, you know, it's it, it's always you know whenever there are big accomplishments in in any in any sport, um, you I think the the reflexive thing to say about it is, you know, how could you know? It, it's hard to envision them, somebody being able to do that again, to repeat it next year, Um, and for Serena Williams to even do maybe even half of that output would be, you know, that would be a fantastic year in its own right, and, you know, I I think at this stage uh, where we see her, and it seems like as sort of, you know, sort of contradictory as it may sound, um, we're, we're is 2016 possibly, you know, has become even more open because of maybe the the energy, the exertion that she put into this year and, you know, perhaps the competition, which I think is, is kind of simmered below, but we still i think saw some incremental gains this year among a few players Muguruza, Belinda Bencic, um sort of some renaissances as well. You know, what do you see really going forward for the WTA, you know, in 2016?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, this Serena dropping out of these last two tournaments, and, you know, it's couldn't have been an easy decision. She could lose about 3 million bucks doing it. Um but after the US Open I, I sort of I thought about whether she might we might see her play in Singapore and I really had trouble imagining you know imagining that that she would be there it just seemed like such a such a big loss and also just such a long period of time when she had sort of dealt with this daily pressure of trying to win the Grand Slam and her being also turning 34 All you know that's you know 30 is already you know we consider that old for a tennis player 34 is kind of getting into it's almost new territory for players who are going to win Grand Slams. Martina Navratilova, we think of her as you know the the, the most. She lasted the longest, but she won her last Slam at 33. So Serena sort of entering uncharted territory, and I I can see why she would she would really want to put this this year behind her, take some time off, and come out you know as focused as she can be for next year. Which you know I do think for the first time it sort of makes me think that she, she could have a letdown. She's been she's been pretty dominant for about 4 years and you know, it just feels like all right, here's an opportunity when now she's going to be 34, now she's coming off a pretty tough loss at the end of this year. Is there, you know, is there an opp- I feel like there is more of an opportunity for other players to win grand slams next year. You know, she's way ahead in the in the ranking points and still and there's nobody really who's who's challenged her but you do feel like she can't keep going like that forever and this would be sort of a time when you would think she would have a, a letdown um trying to get back up for another season
0: yeah and um you know it's you mentioned kind of the you know the age of of serena um and the dominance of Serena, that you know, that's gone hand in hand, which has really made it all the more impressive. Um it's amazing to think about that, you know, Serena's season has you know, one season that's been, I think, almost completely overshadowed by what Serena has done, and this isn't this is, you know, in part because Serena has handed her two losses on Grand Slams is is actually Venus Williams. And uh and you know, this past weekend, Venus wins. Uh, you know, wins the Wuhan event you mentioned. She won it. You know, in the final with a retirement, but but along the way had a number of um, number of impressive victories. You had one also over Roberta Vinci, uh, who of course beat Serena at the U.S. Open. And you know, if you think back really to where you know where we were talking about. Venus, uh, you know, 12 months ago. I don't think this is what a lot of people foresaw for her in in 2015. This has been a particularly impressive year for her as well.
1: Yeah, watching this weekend, watching Muguruza and Venus move through the draw, I was thinking, you know, also thinking in terms of Serena and what she's going to be doing next year, I was thinking that Venus and Muguruza are, good, are two Possible, you know, Grand Slam winners next year. Muguruza is the more obvious one. She made the Wimbledon final, but just watching her in Wuhan, the way she plays, when she play, you know, she, when she plays well, she really plays with, you know, with the type of power that other people, that you know, other people just can't handle. Um, she has trouble finishing points sometimes, but but her game, you know, when she's when she's you know when, when she's in a zone, she, she, she's she's going to be tough for anybody to beat. And I felt like. That was some of the best tennis she's played. Like she has more in her, and I also thought sort of the opposite way about Venus. Venus, we know what she can do, um, but it almost seemed like the problem for her has been stamina. um, You know, staying in long matches, recovering from matches. She she did that really well. I felt you know it seemed like this whole year has been has been good for her. She she did well in Australia. She did well at the U.S. Open, and even that match against Serena almost felt like that felt like you were watching Venus of old she had yeah she really stayed with Serena power wise serve wise forehand wise the shots that some of the shots that can break down for her weren't breaking down and they that she kept that going in Wuhan and you know if you look at who won the US Open Flavia Panetta why at 33 why couldn't Venus win win another one next year so I sort of look at those two as. They almost seem like early contenders for for Australian people to really watch.
0: No, that's a nice uh, note about Panetta. That's true. With we, you know, we forget that it's it's still uh, it's hardly out of reach for players of of that skill level, and uh, and that bears you know that bears itself out in a lot of matches they play. Now, looking just you know in this immediate road ahead, as you know, we're talking about Beijing, Singapore. And obviously a lessened field with a you know Serena out. Um, we're really not sure about Simona Halep at this point. You know, really dealing with some injuries herself. You know, Marie, you kind of go down the list. Sharapova's had injuries, obviously, for you know, stretching back toward Wimbledon. Um, you can go on and on here. I mean, is is there a play and? Certainly, you know, the field has not been set. It's going to be actually come down to kind of the wire with it's a kind of a log jam once you get past, um, really, Sharapova and all the way down to almost 15 in the rankings. That includes Venus herself. I mean, is there, is there anyone that comes to mind in the women's side that could particularly benefit from, a you know, obviously you benefit if you win, but could make the most of, of this last stretch of the year? Because, you know, when we think back to, you know, other seasons from uh, players past, we we often talk about the fall as sort of a springboard that catapults into the next year, and that sometimes that bears itself out. Sometimes that kind of fizzles out through the winter. Yeah, uh, you know, but is there anyone who uh, this time of year might be might mean more to than most?
1: Well, I think you know, I I think some of the people, you, you know, it doesn't seem like somebody like Hallop has been hurt. Benchich has hurt. Some of those people you might you know might mention in this category but but i think somebody like angelique kerber she could make she could make the tournament um and she's played well at that tournament before I, you know she she hasn't necessarily gone deep at it but she she's a great player for for getting into into good matches against players you know she's somebody who who like la- this year played really well she was sort of the nishikori of the of the women's tour she played really well in in she won a bunch of tournaments played really well in the smaller tournaments um but didn't do as much you know in the grand slam she had a good US Open loss to Azarenka but, but wasn't that great in the grand slams you sort of feel like she could do more you know she she it does she does have to work hard to win matches but she she's somebody who's in line to make it to Singapore and um, you feel like she should be doing more at the, at the bigger events. Um so maybe that's some something that could happen for her. Yeah,
0: Kerber Kerber has always struck me as, you know, kind of has really just kind of taken the bad losses out of the equation on the you know, on on most regular weeks on tour and we are left, um you know, I thought I, I I recall her Wimbledon draw in particular. I just couldn't I can't recall who who it was against, but it, it just seemed to me almost like, why, you know, what is holding her back at, at an event like this? And, and I, you know, I always wonder if, if these year end championships are kind of a stepping stone in a way to, to sort of boost that confidence. Or in some cases, you know, if you think back to like a Nikolai Davidenko years ago, you know, David Nalbandian in 2005, you know, these are the pinnacle achievements, and which is nothing wrong with that, but, you know, this, this is effectively, you know, in in a round robin field where, uh, you know, I think the element of of just catching a good streak is more probable. You know, an event like this can can really just define someone's career.
1: Yeah, I think for Kerber, the problem for her is she she can't really dominate a match. She has to rely on the other person missing at some point, and that's going to be less likely at a at a Grand Slam. She lost to Muguruza at both the French Open and Wimbledon, and she lost to Azarenka at the Open players she might get and she might beat on an off day at a smaller event when they're not as when the focus isn't there but but that you know it just seems like the bigger hitters will tend to tend to be play their best at those tournaments and she's not one of them
0: yeah and we'll and uh yeah you mentioned uh azarenka as well i think it interesting we'll see what happens with her in 2016 as well Jeannie Bouchard if you didn't see that pulling out uh, because of lingering concussion effects dizziness this week you know this the year I think for her you can pretty much write off as well so um so it's winding down in the women's side for sure um it's really uh, we got a little bit of a ways to go for for the men um and you know clearly Clearly, this is you know where Novak Djokovic uh, once again continues to you know just really just assert the authority that he has over the field, and it's almost to an even greater degree uh, in in China. He's uh, he's unbeaten in five tournaments at the this week in Beijing. Um, Rafa comes back to this as well. Federer will return next week at the Shanghai Masters. Um, Rafa a bit in the news this week with um, an an interview or a a quote coming from Uncle Tony saying that you know kind of looking forward and I think he was asked about whether you know Rafa much like really the rest of his contemporaries um, would ever go about you know bringing on another coach to his team perhaps even a coach of. You know the the ilk of uh, someone a, a big former player like we've seen with Ed Berg, with Federer, um, Boris Becker, Yvonne Lendl years ago, with with Murray. Um, you know, for Rafa, it's always been it's it's always been family. It's always been family business when it comes to tennis here, and he, and he's made a point to say that, and I think that's the way he likes it. I mean, it, for me, it's almost still hard to imagine um, that something uh would even materialize with this but but it's a good talking point just for Tony to concede the fact that you know this obviously was not what this was not a great year for Rafa and, and he's gone to admit that himself.
1: Yeah, I think you know maybe must have been close to 10 years ago I remember Rafa having a had a, maybe 7 or 8 years ago having a bad streak of play and somebody asking him whether he would change coaches or maybe even suggesting that it was time for him to change coaches and he didn't really he was having none of it you know he was just you know there was really no question that that tony was his coach and it's always worked perfectly because he you know he's 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 his uncle he's is he's not his dad so there's there's not that relationship there's not the tennis father relationship but he's also you know like you said part of his family so he's always so tony is always there he's not just he's not somebody that when it's going to go bad he can he can Kind of let Tony go and get somebody new he's he's been committed to this to this partnership and it's worked really well since he was you know since for his entire life but um, I think Tony might be the person who would be more almost more likely to look for outside help he's always been a guy who listens to other people's opinions and and then tries them out with Rafa somebody sent him a video a few years ago. Of what he thought Rafa was doing wrong on the serve and how he could fix it. And Tony had the guy come and show and work with, you know, work with the two of them on it. It, it, And I think it actually did have an effect on, on the The, doll serve. So he's willing to. uh,
0: Yeah. Wasn't it like one of the U S opens, it was a 2010, I believe, or something. It was a very big point of him changing the serve almost, you know, before the event, I think.
1: Yeah. I think that was a separate, I think this was a different one, but, but he has made, but he's, you know, Tony has been willing to to listen to other people to 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 do different things with with Rafa's game, and I think if he sees if he thinks that that their partnership has gone stale, I think he would be willing to to you know to look for somebody else. I don't think it's I think it might even be Rafa himself who would be less likely to to initiate that. But yeah, like you said, it's hard to ima- You know, it's hard to imagine. He's been with him since the beginning. They've won 14 Grand Slams together. Um, nobody's going to know Rafa's game better, um, but but it is interesting. And I think I think you you know Nadal Tony already steps aside at times for certain tournaments when when he sends when Francisco Roig, Rafa's other coach goes along. So it's so um, there already is another. It's voice. It's not unprecedented by yeah. You so know, so there you, already is another voice way. in there. Yeah. You can. You know, maybe um, you know. So he's already sort of relinquished that. So I think I don't. I don't think it's impossible. But well, I guess it just depends on on how Rafa does in two thousand sixteen. Yeah, and,
0: and looking at at this week, it just kind of struck me as you know I mentioned that Rafa and Novak are are at the China Open this week, and um, you know one thing that's really that's really a, a result of of. Djokovic's dominance and coinciding with a really a struggle from Rafa for most of the year um, is really kind of a, a, a momentary pause, perhaps, in, in the Nadal Djokovic um, back and forth of matches. And, and as we've seen over the years, um, you know, it, it really doesn't take much, or it hasn't taken much, for a lot of momentum to swing from one way to one player to the other, and and you know at this moment it's it, Djokovic is more ahead of Nadal than he has been in his whole career, um, but I do wonder if 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 it does just take you know as kind of an instinct player and is someone who really sort of tends to feed off, off that type of uh, backing is you know should Rafa you know perhaps collide with Djokovic at some point this fall if if that could be a you know a one of the biggest, one of a particular important match for him this year and going forward.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. That's another thing that's hard to it's hard to imagine right now. Djokovic is so far ahead; you would think that just one loss wouldn't wouldn't really make you. First of all, you would think that Nadal going to have to work hard just to get to the final to play Djokovic, and then the idea of beating him on an indoor or a, on a hard court would be is is also a long shot. But but you know he's he. Has beaten Djokovic, you know, more than twenty times. So, so if he, if he does, you know, I think that I think that's a fair point. I think that's the kind of thing that could really. I don't think it would destroy Djokovic in any way, but it could really be a moment where it, things click back again for Nadal, and he feels like, all right, now I can compete the way I always have. Um, and it, that it, it hasn't been that drastic. The do, you know, the sort of dominance hasn't been that drastic in the past, but but, you know, I think in 2011, at the end of 2011, Djokovic had beaten Rafa, um, I think, six straight times. And you might have thought then that the rivalry was over, uh, but Nadal turned it back around, was number one in 2013, so that wouldn't be unprecedented. Yeah, and I think the one thing we should remember,
0: and it's sort of a tick in the in the pro column for, for Rafa, um, you know, not with this matchup specifically, is that for the, you know, Unless I'm, unless we're being withheld anything, uh, you know, the health of Nadal hasn't really been the issue this year. It has, it really has seemed to be, you know, just the the consistency and the explosiveness that that he's become that he's been known for for the better part of a decade, and and that you know that timing and that just uh, you know that execution it, it has really seemed to be the thing that's. That's held him back. Now that can manifest itself in a lot of tricky ways, and I think when you consider, you know, the Fanini match and how that went down, and and if you think, you know, seeing what has what wasn't working on the court and what kind, you know, what kind of havoc that plays with Rafa upstairs in, in his in his mind, you know, that's something that's just as you know tough to deal with, but. But I think those are the things that for for Rafa that you can at least put your foot forward and, and and when you look ahead to what's next is that, well for once Rafa seems to be playing you know or he seems to be playing a full fall schedule and it seems to be that you know maybe with maybe you know as Federer ten, seemed to do in you know 2013 and his was a little more injury specific you know kind of you know players I think no matter who they are are going to have some down years and clearly this is Rafa's biggest down year and it's going to be very compelling to see how he responds to it.
1: Yeah, I guess that's the positive. He's playing you know in the past, these problems have been injury related and he hasn't even played, but he hasn't there's been nothing like that this time. It seems like a matter of to me, the difference is when he gets a lead now he has struggle he struggles playing with a lead, struggles finishing, he gets up a break and he gives a break back. He even did that in his first round match even though he ended up winning, and he did that in his first-round match in Beijing, there's a little hesitation um, putting somebody away that where there wasn't. It just seems like that has to be a, a, a mental issue that can be overcome.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's the next challenge for Rafa, and, uh, and that's where we'll uh, we'll leave things off here for this week's edition of the Tennis.com podcast. Um, for Steve Tigner, this is Ed McGrogan. Thank you once again for listening. Tennis.com.
1: You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.